Welcome to STEM Lab, where we discuss preparing students for success in a rapidly changing world. And here's your host, Michael Newsom. Very happy to have you here with us on STEM Lab. STEM Lab is a podcast that seeks out guests to discuss current research, trends, and techniques in STEM education so that we can better prepare tomorrow's STEM leaders. We want to know what we should be teaching and how we can best teach it. This is our first discussion group episode. I'm here with my co-hosts, Nicole Kreger and Crystal McGee. They both worked with me at the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics, or GSSM for short. Dr. Nicole Kreger has a PhD in mathematics, teaches math, and is the manager of the GSSM Virtual Diploma Program. Nicole, how things been with you? They're going well, Michael. I feel like the semester is well underway, and uh, the students are chugging along at this point in the semester. Uh, your program doing okay? I know you guys are doing some innovative things or thinking about doing some things in the virtual space. It is. We Right now, we have our online diploma program students who are getting a full diploma from us, and we're looking towards adding some single classes for students across the state of South Carolina to take next year. So it's an exciting trying to come up with uh, what classes to offer to students and uh, how we can best serve the state of South Carolina. I know the virtual world opens up so many opportunities. And one of the things I like about the governor school where we work is that we really are able to make changes very quickly and do that sort of thing. Now, Crystal, Dr. Crystal McGee has a PhD in chemistry with a specialty in biochemistry and teaches biology for GSSM. She taught in the South Carolina secondary school system for a while and is now with us at the Governor's School. Crystal, how are you enjoying your new position with us? I love it here. The students are amazing. Um, they want to learn and they work so efficiently in the lab. And it's just been a great experience working with these set of kids. Well, I know the students seem to love you. I hear a lot of good things there. Our guest is uh, Dr. Matt Martin, and, and Matt has a PhD in English, uh, is a Rhodes Scholar. Like me, he worked a couple of decades in higher education before coming to GSSM. He is a professor of English, the Knox Professor of Humanities, and Dean of Faculty at Wesleyan College in Georgia, and now he is at GSSM as the Dean of Curriculum and Instruction. He oversees the operations of the faculty, manages scheduling and advising, and handles academic integrity issues. Matt, that's a lot to be doing. You've been busy this fall. Of course I have, Michael. Good to be with you. I just came out of teaching two uh, English classes back to back, so I am well warmed up. Yeah, I know. I, I Basically, Matt's office is right next to mine, and uh, I heard him come in just about two or three minutes ago, so I really appreciate you uh, doing this uh, on really short notice, too. So let's get to know you a little bit, Matt. What was the transition like from higher to secondary education for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So the Biggest uh, negative challenge, I would say, is that the students are so young. Uh, when you're used to teaching 18 to 22-year-olds, moving to junior and um, seniors in the high school is a big challenge. A lot of them think very black and white. Um, they are, have a lot of developing to do. The exciting thing about teaching our students, though, is that, uh, as uh, Crystal said, they're here, they want to learn, they're smart, and they give us, uh, always come out of the class with a great sense of hope for the future that we uh, have students who really care about what they're doing and, and want to get better. So that's been a, a real positive for me. Yeah, that was the same thing with me having taught in the university level. I wasn't quite sure what to expect when I came here. I think the students are excellent academically. Uh, 
they are 17 year old, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't know it sometimes. So Matt, you're trained in English and, and you work at a STEM focused school. So tell us some of the exciting things about that, that made you come to GSSN. Yes. So, uh, that, that is a big challenge. I, I, I love the fact about our school is that we are a math and science school, but that's not all we do. Right. So I, I think we value our education in all forms, um, which I, you know, I, I taught my whole career at a liberal arts college. I'm a project of a liberal arts college. And so I really value overall learning and learning in multiple ways. Um, I do think, so I grew up in South Carolina and I actually went to the version of the governor's school that, that existed then, which was only a summer program. Um, it was a six-week program at College Charleston. Um, but I am something that makes me proud of my home state that we have a school like GSSM, a place that believes in science, believes in the ability of uh, knowledge to make a difference in the world, and that um, values education. Yeah, that's fun, Matt. You know what? I actually went to North Carolina's governor's school. Uh, North Carolina has the North Carolina School of Science and Math, but then their governor's school is their summer program. So I did that when I was in high school, and that really formed me, I think that opportunity to learn about math that I had never heard of before was so exciting. And I think that for me, that's the fun part about getting to teach high school students at the governor's school is that they're still being formed and uh, you can still show them those exciting things that they've never heard of before. So, um, but now academic integrity is one of the, the key things that you do at the governor's school. And I've had I'm not sure that I would say the pleasure, um, but I've had the opportunity to work with you on several academic integrity cases, and you do an awesome job of really teaching our students through that process. Can you talk a little bit about academic integrity and what you do with that? Well, I mean, I, I think it, in, in uh, summary, it's getting harder, and I think uh, the kids are under more pressure. They're coming out of the pandemic, which uh, we can probably talk more about. That creates a huge challenge for them. Uh, and technologically, it's easier and easier to uh, get information that's not your work. So I, uh, I start every year here at our school going to, um, we have a class called Academic Transition to help our juniors get used to the more college-style education that they're getting here at the Governor's School. And I go to every academic uh, transition class and talk about ac academic integrity. And my pitch is, that it's not just about cheating and about bad things that happen to you when you cheat, uh, which of course I want to give them a little bit of that because fear is not a bad thing, but it's also about the value of integrity and the value of being able to have a place where you can trust the people that you are surrounded by. I always like to say that uh, GSSM is not about our buildings or our programs. It's about our people. And I try to really help our students understand that being part of a community where you have integrity and you trust each other is really a place where you can thrive and achieve the kind of excellence that we all are into. But it gets harder and harder every year. I know you've had many conversations with faculty and you're providing professional development in that area. Uh, do you see the beginning of a consensus about how to handle these issues or are we still in the wild west? Yeah, I wish I could say that I saw a consensus emerging. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a time that is both exciting and terrifying. Um, as y'all know, we started our, our year this year with an opening school institute, and we had a uh, an alumnus come and talk to us who is a, a working scientist at Raytheon. And he talked about how AI is both this incredible opportunity 
and we have to share with our students to help them understand it and, and start to learn how to use it. But it's also something that um, he called it an arms race, right? an AI arms race, where we're not sure where it's headed. And it can it could head it in uh, terrifying as well as exciting places. So trying to get a handle on it, last year when ChatGPT emerged in the middle of the year, I think we were all calling off guard, including our students, how we figure out how to get them to understand that AI is not going to solve all the problems, that they still need to develop the skills that are going to make them able to thrive as scientists and engineers and whatever profession they choose, but also try to start figuring out exactly what you said, Michael, some kind of consensus about how we're going to use it, because it's going to transform every part of our life, and perhaps particularly education. Right? What does it mean to do computer coding? What does it mean to write? What does it mean to do all of the things that we do in education? So trying to figure out that together is a monumental. I agree, but is there any way that you guys are developing strategies to actually determine how much of this AI students are using in a way that is, you know, plagiarism and limiting their growth as students? Is there a way that you guys are really trying to narrow down how students are using this uh, and try to prevent them from using it? How are, basically I'm asking, how are we teaching students to think about AI? Because I think that's the only way where we can guide our students into using AI productively in the future is the culture that we build around their understanding of how it can be a good thing and how it can turn out to be a bad thing. How are um, people like you in these professional developments training teachers to establish that culture of how to actually think about AI? That is a great question, Crystal. And I, I wish that I had a simple answer. I wish that I could say, oh, here's, here's the, the program. We're rolling it out. Now, I, 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 Michael's term, the Wild West, I think you know, aptly describes the world that we're in now. Unfortunately, it is a rapidly evolving terrain, and we don't have a simple answer. Um, the, the, what we're trying to do um, now at GSSM is, is basically try to make people aware of it. We do have some tools. I can talk about those. But to try to get teachers to think about how can this be a positive thing in your class? How can you, um, Michael just mentioned Alex Feltis. Alex Feltis was just here as a scholar in residence at our school. And he's developed his own AI program for his teaching. And he uses it as a teaching assistant. That's a great model. I don't think most of us are here yet. I, I teach our introductory English class. I'm teaching that right now. And what I've said to the students, I don't want you using any AI. Because what I'm trying to get you to do is develop basic skills that I think are fundamental that you need to be able to do on your own, just like you need to be able to do on division before you have a calculator do it for you. So how would figure out the balance of those? It's a great question. I've, I've been working with a, a long time English teacher here and he keeps saying, I really miss the days where everything was black and white. Uh, we do have, we use turnitin.com um, for student writing and they have an AI detector. The problem is it's not always accurate. Right? There are false positives with that. And so you cannot go to a student and say, you got this AI score. That means 40% of your paper is AI generated. We're just not there yet. Right? OpenAI, one of the big developers of artificial intelligence, developed their own AI detector and abandoned it because they didn't think it was working well enough. So um, 
we're we're in a, we're in a place where we really again back to the idea of community. We need to lean into it together and try to figure it out together. One of the things that I've come to realize here recently, and I hadn't really thought about it before, is, and I'll use the word outsource, but it's almost like in a lot of the, the STEM fields, the lab sciences, we sort of outsource the long-term critical thinking, analytical thinking to the English department. And what I mean is you can take students into the laboratory and they could do experiments and you do that in one day and they write it up. But when it comes to that that thought process that takes two months, three months, the course of a semester, we want them to go do those revisions, talk to the faculty member over in English. Now that we have chat GPT, we're losing a little bit of that. It's becoming more precarious. So we're going to have to find ways to still get at that long-term uh, analytical thinking development, critical thinking development. I know, Nicole, you, you do some interesting things with AI in your class, right? You have the students look at it uh, in assignment. Yeah, so I haven't done a ton so far, Michael, but the, the one thing that I did was uh, I used ChatGPT to try and answer a couple of math problems. Uh, in particular, one that I looked at was related to volume in a Calc 2 class. I was just kind of curious what ChatGPT was going to do with it. I was like, well, is it going to do it right? Is it going to do it wrong? And it started out great, and then it got real questioned. And it was, it was, it was great for me. It was like reading a student's work and being like, wait, we're, how did they get from here to here? Um, and so I thought that that would be a great assignment for a student. And I know other teachers do something similar before AI uh, became a thing where they would have students grade work. And so what I did was I thought it would be fun to have the students grade what ChatGPT did. We actually did this on Friday with my students. And I, I think it was a really good exercise for them both to see that AI is not perfect. And then also to get that experience of, of greeting because it is definitely a challenge to greet students' work and also AI work. Nicole, I think that's interesting. I'm glad you actually gave your students that experience because um, now that I think about teaching at a typical um, secondary school, I do remember students in their math classes, they would actually use some type of um, uh, website, which now I realize that's just AI, and they would have them solve the problems for them. And so I always explain to the students that every math equation has um, some sort of application. I was like, what can you do with this math to represent something that you can actually see or a concept or something like that? So if you don't actually know how to use the math or solve the math problem, then you don't know how it can be applied in the everyday world. And so you're, use, you're losing the ability to basically build and, um, and, and construct new ideas and, and, and new technologies if you don't actually know how the math is related to our, our natural world and, and what it's used for in the natural world. So my students, whenever I would talk to them in that aspect, they would say, okay, I need to actually learn the application of this before I can actually rely on, like I think Michael said and, and Matt said, on calculators to solve. Because essentially, it's basically like a calculator. But if they don't understand why the math was um, you know, created or why these equations were created to solve issues or problems that somebody was trying to solve, they they're just only limiting their growth and actually their future. Yeah, I, I, I think in a, in a larger sense, it, it reflects the complex cultural moment that we're in as well. So when our students come in, I always say, why do you want to go to college? And the answer always is, understandably so, money. 
and I need to get a college degree so that I can hire a paying job, right? So we are in a society where you have to, when I've talked to the academic transition class, I showed them a, a picture of Charlie Bucket from Charlie and, the Ch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory holding the golden ticket. And that, that college degree has become a kind of golden ticket that it's just a certification that you get. And so if that's what education means, then of course you're going to use uh, AI to do as much of your work as you can, because it's simply a matter of crossing that hurdle. Right? Similarly, the, the idea that training in science is simply learning to do specific skills like a kind of coding. Well, if I can get a robot to do that for me, why wouldn't I? I think what we're trying to do here at our school is try to frame education in a much larger, deeper sense. That it's not just about something that a stamp that you're having signed that you can move on. It's not just about a specific thing you can do. It's about a way of being and a way of thinking, right? It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of approaching problems. That's all what all great scientists, all great technologists are not simply robots recreating problems they're creative thinkers who are trying to see how to solve problems and that's what we want to give our students the foundation to be able to lead the school and thrive and i think that's the basis of all great stem education so matt like like me you're in a part of your career where you've seen a lot of changes in academia and you know sometimes we like to think about where things might be going and we talked a little bit about that today particularly with ai but where do you see STEM education and really education in general headed over the next decade, the next 10 years? Sure. I, I mean, I think it's easy to be pessimistic. Uh, we are in a time of great conflict. We are in a time where a lot of, particularly in America, people are losing faith in education, that they don't see education as a force for good, which it has traditionally been seen as. And I think that's a big problem um, where it's seen as a kind of indoctrination, or as a way to to heighten this conflict. That's something we've got to figure out a way to, to get around. I, I do think that when you're in the classroom with young, energetic, bright students, that gives you, gives you hope. And that we have the possibility of finding, finding great, there's going to be great power in the science and technology we're developing, right? Uh, fusion energy and AI and robotics are going to have the ability to transform our world in a positive way. And I think the fact working with our students can give us hope that's going to happen. I, I agree with you. I am optimistic. As long as we can make the changes in our curricula and as long as we can come up with those instructional techniques that work along with the new technology, I think we have the opportunity now to start to do more integrated work, a lot of interdisciplinary work, a lot of project-based learning. Uh, let the, you know, the whole idea of flipping the classroom, let the students learn those basic materials outside the classroom, come in, and then we work together. We take that human element, which we as instructors are good at, and we finally take advantage of that. We're able to do that in the classroom, have those discussions, and create that little spark that might make a difference in a student's life. Yeah, I, I, I would just, back to, to our school, I think one of the great things that we do is we don't just ask them to take basic classes. We offer a lot of creative electives. And we also give them the opportunity to do research, which is, of course, the heart of the scientific method. And so getting our students actually out there, creating new ideas, working with real scientists, I think is the perfect model to get them to show this isn't just an empty exercise. But it's actually a place where you can go out into the world, which our students do every summer, every year, and make a difference, right? Work on um, climate change, work on 
issues of, of, of medical um, innovation that can really make a difference in the world. And that's that's where we get. Well, Matt, uh, you know, if you could uh, provide advice to anyone managing STEM programs and faculty, because that's what you, you do now, what would that be? Yeah, so I, I think, it, again, it's easy to be pessimistic. It's easy, you know, we, we're in a post-pandemic world where a lot of people are disengaged, or a lot of people are, are losing the capacity to care about things. And I think that's the vital spark we have to keep in education, that we have to go into the classroom and show our students that we care about them, that we care about our subjects, and that we care about them learning. And that's the key to making everything work. Well, Matt, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really enjoyed the discussion and uh, also the audience. You know, Thank you for being with us. And remember, until next time, keep learning and growing. You have been listening to STEM Lab, produced in the studios of the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics.